Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Residents on the island of Maui are a ways away from returning to normal after last summer's deadly wildfire. Authorities are still working to identify many who lost their lives in one of the nation's worst disasters. On top of that, thousands of residents remain displaced from their homes and there's conflicting pressures to welcome outside tourists, a big part of the island's economy. Today we'll get an assessment on some progress that's been made since the fire and what challenges remain. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The percentage of female engineers varies by specialty, but 2021 figures show only 9% of mechanical engineers are women. A Native student at Arizona State University is working to change that, as Alex Gonzalez reports. Claire Gunderson just started her first year at ASU studying mechanical engineering. She says her passion for this field started by helping her dad with his cars in her hometown of Albuquerque, New Mexico. And while she's disappointed to see a lack of diversity in the field, Gunderson says she's optimistic about the future. I guess it's a little sad that like more women aren't involved in engineering and it just inspires me to pursue what I want to do and make connections with everybody around me, no matter if they're male or female or whatever. ASU awarded bachelor degrees in engineering to 460 women in 2021. Gunderson is also a National Indigenous Recognition Scholar. She graduated high school with top academic standing. Only 8% of ACT-tested American Indian and Alaska Native high school graduates meet college readiness and STEM benchmarks, according to the American Indian Science and Engineering Society. During her time at ASU, Gunderson says she hopes to become a member of the Formula SAE Club, which each year sets out to build a Formula-style race car to compete at an annual Formula student competition in Michigan. She says she's eager to see the process of building a prototype. For anyone considering the engineering field, Gunderson recommends taking time to explore your options and find the best fit. If you're really into figuring stuff out and all that, like bound to be something in engineering that you'll be able to find, whether it's like mechanical, electrical, the aerospace, anything like that. Like it's just really fun. Gunderson and more than 144,000 other Sun Devils have begun their degree programs this fall at ASU campuses or online, the largest student enrollment in the university's history. I'm Alex Gonzalez. The Michigan Bar Association's Representative Committee will grant its 2023 Unsung Heroes Award to the Nadawasepi Huron Band of the Potawatomi Chief Tribal Court Judge, the Honorable Melissa L. Pope, on September 21st. According to the Michigan Bar Association, the Unsung Hero Award is presented to a lawyer who has exhibited the highest standards of practice and commitment for the benefit of others. September is Suicide Prevention Month, and new data shows that the suicide rate in the U.S. has increased dramatically over the past 20 years. As the Mountain West News Bureau's Caleb Radel reports, that's especially true for Native Americans and Alaska Natives. The analysis was done by Pew Charitable Trusts. It found that from 2000 to 2020, the national suicide rate grew 30%. For Native American and Alaska Native women, the rate spiked more than 130%. For men, it jumped over 90%. Emily Edmonds-Harrows is with the Johns Hopkins Center for Indigenous Health. She says a major factor is the historical trauma caused by colonization and the boarding school era. If a parent is 
traumatized because of these experiences and and experiences those things and not allowed to talk about it, not allowed to cope with it. They then pass along that trauma to their children and sort of this cycle perpetuates itself. She says there's also a lack of funding for mental health care services in tribal communities. But efforts to bridge the gap are coming from the Indian Health Service, which is training tribal members to respond to people in crisis. For National Native News, I'm Caleb Radel. If you or someone you know needs help, call or text the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Nobody likes a crowded highway. A crowded crib is even worse. For a safe night's sleep, use a fitted sheet only and be sure there are no toys, blankets, or pillows around your baby. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. As many as 7,500 Maui residents remain displaced after the historically devastating fire on the island in early August. Many of those are growing frustrated by the slow pace of progress to start rebuilding and healing. Several residents have filed lawsuit against those they hold responsible for their lost loved ones and property. There are also arguments on both sides about efforts to resume tourism as a way to help restart the local economy. At the same time, there are growing signs of resilience as residents help each other through the aftermath and look ahead to the future. Today we'll get a picture of challenges some residents see ahead and the hopeful signs of recovery. Our phone lines are now open and we encourage you to call in with comments and questions. The direct line to the studio is 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Let's now meet our guests. Speaking with us from Maui is Kaliko Kaawamo. She's a tarot farmer, musician, a Hawaiian language advocate, and a teacher. She's Kanaka Maoli. Kaliko, thanks for joining us today. Aloha kakahiaka, mahalo for having me. Joining us from Hawaii also is Kyle Kawakami. He is a chef and the owner of Maui Fresh Streetery. Hello, Kyle. It's good to have you on the show. Aloha. Thank you for having me. And from Wailuku on Maui is Marlene Rice. She's the development director for the Maui Food Bank. Welcome to you too, Marlene. Aloha. It's a pleasure to be here. Aloha to all. And Kaliko, I'd like to begin with you today. And the last time we checked in on the situation in Maui here on Native America Calling, it was about a month ago, right after the fire. How has the situation changed since then? 
Uh, so, uh, personally, for us in our home, uh, we we're housing some family members from the um, other side and in, you know, direct communication with people from the Haina who are now at this point starting to step into this new reality that their family is placed into. And so, I think we went from a very survival mode mentality to now um, really experiencing maybe that grief a bit more in in recognizing. The new challenges that have arise from, you know, moving to different homes or to being displaced to having children in different schools, um, and it's starting to, it's starting to become a, a different type of atmosphere, I guess I'd say. Um, and yet, even though even though that's occurring amongst the community, the local community, everyone is still supporting one another. Food is still being prepared. Um, toiletries and, and all those types of things are still being there. And so there's so much support still showing up on a day to day basis from the Maui community. And so there's that support to help hold our Lahaina residents up as they begin this new next step, I guess, in the in this process. Now, Kaliko, as I understand it, you are on the other side of the mountain from Lahaina, so you're not directly there, uh, ground zero area, but you are helping out friends and other relations. Uh, how's that working out? What are you able to do for those folks? Well, and um, for our family, you know, it's just showing up for our family, checking in, making sure everyone's got a place to be, everyone has their basic needs met. Um, in my role at the Maui Arts and Cultural Center, we are, we are visiting Lahaina, and, and going there to bring music and the arts as a way to provide maybe a healing outlet for families who have now found themselves placed in hotels. So I'm coming back and forth between my Waihe'e community, which is consisting of many families who have now taken new families in, and there's that happening, as well as going into Lahaina and really just showing up to teach music um, and with my other artist friends to bring you know, that type of joy, which also creates a healing environment. So we're going back and forth. Now, Kaliko, have you been surprised at all by the outpouring of support and just how much community members have galvanized to uh, to assist others? Or is that pretty much just the way people in Hawaii are? Are they very helpful and courteous to one another? Not surprised at all. Um, I think during covid it was a reminder. I think that that was the first maybe moment that the world got to see the the amount of aloha and the the way the community showed up for each other. And now in this season, um, it really wasn't surprising at all that while the fires were still occurring, people on this side of the mountain had already activated. Families had already begun cooking meals. There were already um, portable restrooms available. There were showers set up, and so. It's a common theme amongst us in Hawaii that we take care of each other. That is how we show our aloha. It's the most deepest definition of that word, that even when everything is going array and everything is, you know, um, out of control, there I'll be ready to serve you, ready to help you. Um, that's how we do it. Well, that's inspiring to hear that, Kaliko. And I know that there are some concerns. I know you voiced some concerns uh, that you're worried uh, about what the future of your Hawaiian culture, as well as the Filipino culture that's present there on Maui, how that's going to endure uh, in the event of just this huge, huge change in, in not only the geography, but potentially the way of life. 
what are you most worried about regarding the future of your culture? Yeah, so I think in um, in Hawaii and in Maui specifically, we have several really strong culture community groups. So we have Kanaka Maoli, right, residents, um, people of this aina, of this place who are lineal descendants, connected by blood by to this aina. Then we have our local families, our immigrants who have moved to Maui and really brought that local culture that makes Maui what it is. And I was speaking to specifically Filipino and Portuguese and Japanese and so many of um, our families who came with sugar who now become firmly planted and have become a part of our community. And then we have this separate leg of our community, which is the tourism leg is how I like to see it. And I think that um, we've always known that local people show up for each other and are there to support each other. But in the midst of this tragedy, it was evident to the world how Kanaka Maoli and local community joined together to to provide every need from day one, still still till today, and and even further beyond. We know that's going to happen. And so I think for me, um, the worry that I was expressing is that after the support is no longer there, right? If um, at hotels, for example, if if our families are being housed there. And our, as our tourism returns, where do those families go and how can we support them so that should they have to um, show up in their capacity, even in their work jobs to serve others, how can we as a community hold space for them, support them, be there for them, provide emotional support, whatever it may be, so that they can return to the tourism industry or so that they may serve others. And so my worry is that the pace is fast and that the kahua is not set. And so in um, Hawaiian Mana'o, we have a, 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 a olelo no eao, or these really guiding statements for our people, o ke kahua mamua mahope ke kukulu. And that speaks to the fact that the foundation always needs to come first and only then can you begin to move forward. And so I think for right now, my immediate concern is just a fast pace. Um, push forward and how does that affect our community, our immigration, our immigrant population, our Kanaka Maoli population, our local families who maybe depend on tourism? How do we move forward in a way where we nurture the spirit and we nurture um, the humanity of these people and we really support them in showing up to serve others when they perhaps are still unable to serve themselves? Foundation first. Uh, uh, interesting, Kaliko. And also, many of our listeners on the show, many of the Native people who, who listen to our show, they might not be familiar with the way that you and other Kanaka Maoli people, the, the land, the, the type of land, the status of the land that you live on. Could you explain a little bit more with some details? What is the the legal status of of, of the land that you live on and some of the other folks there in Hawaii, and how is that different perhaps than like the reservations that we have uh, for Native pe people here who are stateside? Yeah, so yesterday um, we were having a conversation about the reservation and Hawaiian homelands. And so I am, it's really a blessing to be a part of this land, which was set aside for Native Hawaiians, meaning those with blood quantum, measured blood quantum of 50% or more Hawaiian. And so it, it, these these home lots that some of us are able to be a part of and to be um, you know can live in 
create this weird environment amongst our Hawaiians because it creates a sense of enoughness and not having enough, right? Because um, linearly, genealogically speaking, the aina, the land, is our first ancestor, and we are simply here to serve it. Um, and so when Hawaiian homes came and they, they awarded these um, lands, to those with the correct amount of blood quantum, what it does is that for those without that blood quantum, it creates a need for housing and a, um, it's a disservice, right? Because amongst the Hawaiian community now, it creates a way for us to be divided amongst each other when at the end of the day, a kanaka Maoli, someone with Hawaiian blood running through their veins, is that is who they are. It, it cannot be measured. Um, and so where, where my home is specifically is in a Hawaiian um, homestead. And so, um, yeah, that's just a little bit about how that works. Our lands in Hawaii, I'm sure that I've seen Lance Collins on this call. Um, I'm sure other people can speak to this, but in Hawaii specifically, our land has has changed hands in not the most pono and not the most righteous of ways. And we're finding ourselves now in a crisis where um, some, you know, the haves and the have nots, those who were able to secure land and who then subdivided and who then sold lands, and those of us who have been here ever since the beginning of time who have no place to call our own. Kaliko, really appreciate you joining us today. Listeners, we are talking uh, about the aftermath of the Maui wildfire, which occurred in August, uh, questions or comments, we have our phone lines open, 1-800-996-2848. We'll get your comments on the air. After years of pressure, officials renamed one of Colorado's highest peaks. The mountain no longer carries the name of the governor responsible for atrocities against Native Americans. We'll talk about the growing awareness for more appropriate place names on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Listening to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about Maui and the island city of Lahaina today. It's been more than a month since the devastating wildfires, and we're talking with Hawaiians about community aid, protecting land, and rebuilding. What are your thoughts now during the aftermath of this tragedy? What words of encouragement do you have for the people of Maui and Lahaina? Let us know at 1-800-996-2848. And with that, let's bring our next guest into the conversation, Kyle Kawakami. He is the chef and owner of Maui Fresh Streetery. And uh, Kyle, again, thank you for joining us. And we're learning about just so many people who are struggling on Maui right now. How are you assisting those most in need? Aloha, Sean. Thank you for having us. Um, so Maui Fresh Streetery is a food truck uh, that I've been operating here on the island for 
going on 10 years. We just hit actually our 10-year anniversary uh, two days ago. And so um, what we're doing is uh, initially very boots-on-the-ground sort of uh, uh, insertion into the destruction zone to get hot meals out to customers and, and, and to people that have been displaced. Um, within uh, two to three days of the fire, we were able to gain entrance onto that side of the island. I myself am located in central Maui in Kahului, which is uh, uh, closer to where Kaliko is as well. So I'm uh, on the other side of the mountain. And um, within about three days, we were able to get over to uh, that area to distribute hot meals, water, fresh fruits and vegetables to some of um, the subdivisions and areas that we identified as uh, in critical need. And so that's what our initial uh, response was to the destruction in Lahaina. Okay. And since, and since then, it's sort of shifted gears and, and morphed and pivoted uh, to little different areas of, uh, of relief. Kyle, you mentioned it took about three days essentially to mobilize, uh, get your food truck there out assisting. And how difficult was that to, to just pivot like that and, and turn your food truck into what is an essentially an emergency response vehicle? Yeah, so we've actually been been doing it for a while. So I've ever since owning the food truck, I've always looked at it as not just a means uh, to serve people food, but it was there here in my possession as a as a an implement to be able to respond in cases of emergency. So um, we've done it before. So. In, I believe it was 2018, Lahaina had a, a, another uh, pretty devastating wildfire that wasn't quite as bad, but homes were lost. And we were able to mobilize and get out within a day, within probably 24 hours, to start feeding people that were displaced in the Lahaina community. So All this right. is you know, a, kind of a second coming of, of what we were doing. And Kyle, when you dealt with this five years ago in 2018, I mean, did you learn from that experience and were you able to apply some of that knowledge to the relief efforts that you're doing right now? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I had contacts in place and I kind of knew people and, and was able to, you know, sort of uh, get a large amount of food quickly and, and kind of understand how to get that food ready and what people would need. But the the scope and the scale of the devastation of this current situation was nothing that I could have prepared for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just certainly seems so unprecedented. And, and, and Cal, just the, the 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 activity, just the act of making food every day, preparing it. Uh, I mean, how does that that help you emotionally? Because I would imagine, even though you're on the other side of the island, there's still. I mean, you just you see your friends, you see relations, you see the devastation. It's got to be hard emotionally. And just the simple act of, of cooking every day, does that kind of help you 
get through this tragedy as well? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Cooking, cooking, sharing a meal, um, feeding people is kind of the core and, and, and sort of Hawaii people always gather around the dinner table and, and food is such an integral part of, of, of our community and our culture and the ability to be able to get out into that, those communities and feed people was, was, you know, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, the, the first, the first day that we were able to get out there, I actually took a, a fellow chef friend who lived in that community. They, we identified a, a neighborhood that was directly above the burn zone, uh, uh, right above Lahaina town where people still had their homes. They were living in their homes, but they had no power, no water, no connectivity in terms of uh, internet and were just, isolating in that neighborhood, kind of holding down their homes, uh, afraid of looters or afraid to leave that side of the island because they were being told that they could not get back over to Lahaina once they made the drive to central Maui. So they were, you know, pretty much a little island on the island, you know, just sort of isolated. So we really identified the food insecurity in that specific area and concentrated our efforts there. Well, Kyle, really appreciate your, uh, your insights into this conversation. And I really applaud uh, your efforts as well as other food truck operators and restaurant owners and, and chefs and other folks as well, who are just making sure some of these basic needs are being addressed there for the people of Maui. And at this point, I'd like to bring in our third guest, uh, Marlene Rice, who is in Maui also, and she is the development director for the Maui Food Bank. Marlene, thank you again for joining us. And um, where do you see the biggest need for people on Maui right now? Is it just getting meals and nutrition and eating every day? Uh, well, Sean, first, let me say thank you for having me on the show. And um Kyle, I know, and uh, it was, I was actually just with him at the food bank last week and appreciate everything that he is doing with his food truck. He's amazing, and he's an amazing chef. Amazing chef. Um, as far as the need goes, um, the need is always going to be food. Um, you know, we have people right now that um, – maybe staying somewhere but don't have kitchens. Um, They don't have, for example, if they're in a hotel, they don't have their own refrigerator with um, all the food they would normally use um, to provide meals for their family. They don't have stoves to cook on. And so right there, not only are they feeling very displaced because not being in their own home, but uh, food is an important part of our life. Uh, in so many ways, nutritionally and socially, that they're not really even able to experience that to the degree that to the degree that they most likely were before the fires happened. So the need for food is huge, and it's going to continue on into the future. This is going to be a very long, long road to recovery. Marlene, Kyle just shared that that he had some experience. He was somewhat prepared, having dealt with the big fire back in 2018. 
was that the same for you folks there at the food bank or uh, did this just hit you folks completely by surprise? Oh, it hit us completely by surprise. If I could just share for a moment the day that the fires um, happened, the, the day that they started and how it impacted me, I was I was working late that day because we had some roofers here at the food bank working on our building, and um, I wanted to stay until they left in case they needed something. And our staff had heard in the middle of the day that there was a brush fire in Lahaina, but um, all the reports were that it was fully contained and that there was a small fire up in Kula, and that also was being contained. So. Um, that's what we heard during the afternoon. And when I left my office at eight o'clock at night, I had a friend that called me that lives in Kula, which we call up country. And, um, she's, and I live in North Kihei, which is the other side of the island from Lahaina. I live on the South side, but I face the volcano. So I face up country. And so my friend Moana called and said, are you seeing the fire right now? That's coming towards your house. And I said, there's no fire coming towards my house. Um, I was in the middle of town in Central, so I, I wasn't, um, you know, there's buildings around and everything, so I couldn't really see what was going on um, towards the upcountry side. And she said, Marlene, there is a fire roaring towards you that looks like a river of lava. And oh, I said, the only fire we really heard about was Lahaina, and that's fully contained. And so this is on August 8th, and she said, uh, no. The fire is not fully contained, and Lahaina is burning. And so when I got onto the main road that would take me to North Kihei, I looked to my left, and sure enough, there was, it looked like a river of molten lava coming down that mountain heading towards North Kihei, where I live. And when I got home, they told us uh, to evacuate. But as we kind of stood around watching, it, it was obvious the wind was holding the fire at bay, and it had stopped coming towards our our homes, those of us that live in that area. So we didn't leave. I now realize how very stupid that was because the wind could have changed at any time. And mm. that fire would have definitely wiped out the part of town where I live. So, of course, uh, the next morning um, we hear about the catastrophic events that happened in La- in Lahaina. And it, it was really unbelievable. I don't know if anybody could totally wrap their head around the reality that this entire community was lost. No, and, no, I don't think um, so. And, you know, like looking at the photographs, I mean, you can see the devastation, but I, I would imagine unless you're there like you are in the others, it's just really inconceivable. Marlene, I'm going to go ahead and take a caller now. We have Marilyn, who is listening in Anchorage, Alaska, on station KNBA. Good morning, Marilyn. Thank you for calling in. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <clears throat> Listening to the Lahaina devastation uh, that happened there. Um Nakamikamsi. I'm saying that in Siberian Yupik. Um Lahaina Igamsi Thank you so much. Um, I understand the situation because we had a horrific storm, uh, Murbach, a couple of years ago up in northern Alaska. And 
devastated a lot of um, communities, uh, fishing, um, uh, subsistence activities, and things like that. Um, but um, <clears throat> it will come see um, blind people. Um, in my language, I say that um, I am sorry to hear about the things that that you are going through. But um, be strong. Us Native people will be there for you. And thank you so much for having this show. Uh, Bye. Merlin, thank you so much for calling and sharing those beautiful words in, in your Yupik language. And I, I'd just like to pivot quickly to Kaliko. And Kaliko, please go ahead and respond to Marilyn. How does that make you feel? Here's somebody in Anchorage, Alaska, talking to you in Yupik and, and, and pouring out condolences and words of strength to you and your people. Yeah, Mahalo. I'm, I'm sitting here crying because there is something special about hearing. Um, words have different meaning when they're when they're spoken, of course, from the heart, but in that native um, language, we have a olalano'ya, or one of our important things we share, which is oka'ina, and so that's what I would like to share with her. Um, and it means that we're in, we're natives of the land, we're birthed here, we live here, we are of the place, and the place is of us. And so, um, hearing her share her aloha, and um, it really hits for me because. Um, you know, as a Kanaka Maoli, not only did this uh, Aina burn, not only did this fire happen, but in a way, it, it, we as people, right, have been burnt. And so the Aina hurts and needs to heal. And because we are that Aina, we are that land, we are one and the same, we too need to heal. So thank you so much for sharing, um, um, you know, your mana'o, heeve hana'o ka Aina. We are the Aina, and the Aina is us. So mahalo. All right. Let's go ahead and pivot back to Marlene Rice with the Maui Food Bank. And Marlene, obviously, there's just a huge need. So how are you folks holding up there at the food bank in terms of your supplies and your inventory? Do you have enough food and stock to feed all these people going forward? Well, one of the things that's really important, Sean, is um, I've worked in uh, non- the nonprofit world for over 30 years, and I've worked in various parts of the world. And in fact, I loved what the caller had talked about um, the the Siberian language. I've been to Siberia. I work in Siberia, and um, but I have to tell you that I've never ever worked anywhere where I've seen the generosity of the community as extensive as it is here in Hawaii. Um, The culture here is so giving, is so generous. Uh, People do show up uh, to help each other, which that was happening the minute really that the fire started happening. People were were trying to help get people out and find places to relocate people. So for us, um, the food has continued to come in. We brought 19 containers uh, from the mainland um, of food. And um, so right now in this moment, there we do have enough food because it is coming in. It's coming in weekly uh, that we're able to get, to get out. And just um, kind of a sidebar, 
the first week after the fires happened, uh, the Maui Food Bank um, provided 250,000 pounds of food to the people who um, were devastated, you know, by the fires. Um, a good majority of them were in shelters over here in Central. And then since um, from August 9th to um, September 20th, we've uh, distributed over 1,205,000 pounds of food, mm. which provides about 1 million meals. Yeah, great job. And someone great might job. say, well, that's and somebody say, well, how can you possibly distribute a million meals on Maui? Well, there was between you know five and six thousand people that were displaced, and um, and when you think about three meals a day and snacks, the food goes as fast as it goes in is also going out. All right, we're going to have to take another break. When we come back, we've got a couple more guests, and we're going to learn more about the aftermath there in Maui. Did you know that bare space is best when it comes to your baby's sleep? That's right, when you keep their crib free from toys, pillows, blankets, and other loose objects, you can drastically reduce the risk of suffocation. All your little one needs is to be placed on their back atop a tightly fitted sheet to ensure a safer night's rest. More infant sleep safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. You're tuned to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're turning our attention once again to the city of Lahaina on the island of Maui. Hawaiians are still dealing with the turmoil of August's deadly wildfire and new concerns over land grabs, gentrification, water shortages, and the future of tourism. You can join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Our producer, Andy Murphy, was able to talk with Carmen Hulu Lindsay about how community leaders are assisting with relief efforts on Maui. Carmen is the Office of Hawaiian Affairs Maui Trustee and Chair of the Board of Trustees. I think our community has been up in air. They don't have a permanent housing, and that is bothering all the families. The governor was so generous in paying for short-term housing in some of our hotels and actually was housing about 2,000 people and uh, holding off tourists. It's come to the time that they need to move away from the hotels and find more permanent long-term housing while they try to rebuild their properties. Our people are kind of scared that there's not enough housing on our island. Uh, so there will still be hotel housing for another month. So everything is being considered by our government in that they're trying to make our people as comfortable as possible. Are there discussions about bringing tourism back to the area? They have been holding off on uh, West Maui, which is Lahaina and uh, Kapalua area, Kanapali. They've been holding off on inviting tourists back, but I believe they have considered inviting them back as of October 8th. And this is why they're consolidating the people that were spread out among all the hotels and leaving some of the hotels for our tourists. They are not going to be able to go into Lahaina town. That's not 
an area that's open to the public, but at least they'll be able to enjoy Ka'anapali and Kapalua. Other than South Maui, where you have the Grand Wailea and Kealani and uh, several other hotels. So there's quite a few places on our island that are still open for tourists. What kind of protections are in place to safeguard against land grabs? How is the state helping? They're worried that people will not be able to pay their mortgages for the homes that are no longer there. They've asked for a 90-day forbearance on the mortgages where the people affected don't have to pay their mortgages. Some attorneys are asking for three years because that's how long it's going to take to rebuild. We don't know how much FEMA is going to cover, how much um, the state is going to contribute towards that that cause as far as the displaced people. That's not certain yet. What is um, important to us right now is making sure that our children are comfortable because of the schools in Lahaina being closed. Uh, We've had to relocate our students from uh, kindergarten to 12th grade to other schools on the island temporarily. Our people are resilient. Our communities are close-knit. So they will help each other, protect each other. Uh, We have several hubs all over the island where people are donating uh, to the cause of the displaced people. There are lots of um, uh, governmental help, but every family has an individual choice to do what they want to do. But there has been lots of warnings, both in person, on television, so that our people are educated enough to not just give up and and move on. Most of the people that I've been hearing want to stay home here. So they're against uh, land grabbing. That was Carmen Hulu Lindsay, Office of Hawaiian Affairs Maui Trustee. Let's bring in our next guest, Dr. Lance Collins. He is joining us today from Maui in Hawaii, and he's a private practice attorney there on the island of Maui. Lance, welcome. Aloha. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Aloha. Yes. Listening to the interview there with Carmen Lindsay, uh, we keep hearing this term land grab, land grab possibility. It really has people concerned. So we also heard Kaliko talk earlier about her homestead. What other types of land do indigenous people there on Maui reside on, Lance? So uh, in addition to homestead, um, Kanaka Maui also have what are called kuleana lands. Um, and those are lands that were set aside uh, or were awarded uh, when land was privatized uh, in the 1850s. And so there are many families who continue to reside on those kuleana lands, and most of them uh, are away from the urban areas. So uh, many of them were not directly affected by this fire, but in the fire in 2018, those were the lands that were mostly uh, directly affected. Um, So that is another type of of land that uh, Native peoples in Hawaii uh, reside on. And then there's many folks who, you know, are part of the working class and they obtained lands through, uh, you know, worker affordable housing programs. And those would be just regular fee simple lands, I would imagine, Lance? Regular fee simple lands, yes. Okay. Now, um, 
these folks that are living on these different types of perhaps homesteads or this other type of land, how many of these folks are carrying mortgages? Because we heard uh, the the previous guest talk about the forbearance, a 90-day forbearance on payments. Uh, do you have any idea of about how many folks that actually includes who are going to benefit from that forbearance and, and perhaps a three-year forbearance if that works as well? So I should clarify that, yes, yeah, some of the local banks um, are following through on a 90-day forbearance, but all that does is it means that you don't have to make the payments for 90 days, but you still owe the payments and interest continues to accrue. One of the things that we're asking for is for a three-year deferment, which means that interest stops uh, and all payment stops, and then those payments would be tacked on to the end to sort of extend the, the time to pay a mortgage so that people get a break so that they can focus on trying to figure out how they're going to rebuild their home. So the forbearance okay. is great for a 90-day situation, but it, it doesn't stop the interest, and you have to pay everything at the end of the 90 days. So if you don't have the money now, it's not likely you're going to have it in three months. <laughs> right. And some of these folks, they don't have a house, right? So they're worried about making right. payments in 90 days in a house that no longer exists. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So that's a, it's a huge problem, and you know there were 2,000 uh, homes and buildings uh, that burned down. I mean, some of them were apartment uh, and condo type buildings. So it's it's more than 2,000 families, but it, it is a lot of people. Um, All right. All right. And Lance, uh, again, the land grab uh, possibility, the fear, how exactly would that happen? A land grab right now uh, going after some of these distressed properties there on the island of Maui? Sure. So if there isn't a moratorium on foreclosures or their lenders do not agree to a deferment, what's going to happen is people are going to default on their mortgages. Um, and then when they can't pay, a foreclosure process will start. And then on the steps of the courthouse, there will be foreclosure auctions. And that's where most of the land will be grabbed. <laughs> uh, will be in that process, so sort of under the cloak of, of legal correctness. So that's, okay. that's the, probably the biggest concern for uh, immediately for land grabs. That and, of course, people who won't wait and they'll just do a, a fire sale or short sale uh, of their property to just get out of the hassle. Um, and then, we, and then that, that's not even done in public, right? So um, that's, that's the, that, those are the two immediate ways where uh, we have a concern about land being grabbed. And as I understand it, Lance, there are reports of, of people receiving cold calls from realtors and others saying, look, uh, we'll offer you a quick check. No need to wait uh, for your compensation in the future. We'll pay you today. We'll pay you now. And I would imagine for some folks, it might be hard to resist an offer like that if you're struggling so much right now. Absolutely. Uh, you know, as, as Chair Lindsay said, that, you know, many folks are still being temporarily housed. A lot of people are out of work. They don't have a home. You know, folks are, are desperate. They're in denial. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I myself have actually gotten two calls. I don't live in, in Lahaina, but I've actually gotten two calls where people claim they had the wrong number. And then I said, I'm sorry, you have the wrong number. Uh, then they tried to see if I lived in Lahaina and if, they, if I was willing to sell my property. <laughs> So oh, uh, it, it, is, it is very pervasive uh, right now, unfortunately. Okay. And Lance, I know Governor Josh Green there has pledged that uh, he's going to you know, work really hard to make sure some of these land grabs and other issues don't come to fruition. But what exactly is the, the state government doing there 
in Hawaii to prevent some of these uh, possibilities that seem like uh, such a huge risk right now to the communities? Well, um, you know, we have called on him to um, add to the emergency proclamation, the suspension of the foreclosure law for the area of Lahaina. Um, that's probably one of the very few tools that he could do to make a hard stop um, in the foreclosure process happening. And, and if he did that, many lenders would then be have more incentive to work uh, with uh, homeowners or property owners uh, to modify loans to allow them the space to rebuild. Um, so that would be the number one thing that the state could do. Um, the state could also uh, allow folks to continue living uh, in the hotels uh, as opposed to shuffling them around and, and constantly moving them around because uh, while living in a hotel isn't ideal, uh, it's much better to just be in one place than to have to be moving around every two weeks. Mm -hmm. Lance, another issue we're hearing about is water access and water rights. And what is at the root of those concerns by citizens of Lahaina and Maui? Uh, well, the biggest concern is that the uh, land company who sort of has had a, a, a oppositional control of, uh, of a lot of the water resources uh, legally or just as a practical matter, um, right after the fire, uh, used that opportunity to get the deputy water director, who's like the executive director of, of water management in Hawaii, removed from his position, and they got the governor to suspend the water code um, to allow them to do whatever they wanted to do. So that was very concerning. Uh, we have filed a lawsuit to bring Kaleo Manuel uh, back uh, on. Uh, we think that it was violated state law. Um, so that's one concern. And then yesterday at the Commission on Water Resource Management, uh, that, you know, they are moving ahead with um, the correct uh, management or regulation of water in West Maui. So I think that's a big relief to the community. But uh, I think the initial knee-jerk reaction, which was to side with the, the land company as opposed to the community, I think was very troubling for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then, you know, we heard these reports that, oh, you know, they, they didn't have access to the water when the fire started. So there were that was an issue. There were limitations. And then we hear about some of these, you know, these golf courses and these other tourism industry related businesses that have plenty of water and yet other people don't. So, geez, Lance, I mean, how do you foresee just any type of solution to really making sure that everybody has their fair share of water there on the island going forward? Yeah, well, I know one thing that really spread out uh, in the media nationally and internationally was that somehow um, you know, Hawaiian taro farmers were depriving the fire effort of, of water for fire suppression. And that's just simply not true. Um, that, was, that was the story that was created by the land company to get the state government to suspend the water code and, and get rid of the deputy water uh, director. But the water in the stream uh, that was at issue was actually for the fire suppression for the, for the families that live on these Kuleana lands. And in 2018, some of them didn't have any water and their houses burned down. And so what the deputy water director was saying was make sure that those folks were not taking water away from them and putting them in harm's way uh, before you start diverting water elsewhere. And the water that was gonna be diverted and was diverted wasn't used for fire suppression on August 8th. It was used for luxury homes south of where the fire was. So uh, I just want to, for listeners who've been following this, I just want to make sure it's clear that that whole story was manufactured by the land company to justify 
trying to get their way uh, with the use of water. So uh, that being said, there is enough water for all of, all of the uses for the community. Uh, it's just a matter of going through the process that was established a year ago to get that water to everybody in a, in a fair and equitable manner. And in addition to the water, Lance, uh, what other necessities, what is the status of other necessities there for people in Lahaina and other parts of Maui? Is the electricity up and running? Is there gasoline? Is there cell service? What more needs to be done? Yeah, so I believe there might be one or two pockets, but they have reestablished uh, electricity for the most part, and uh, many of the internet and cell phone providers have established temporary towers to make sure that uh, folks are connected. I know people have been uh, using Starlink as well to uh, maintain connectivity. So, I mean, that process is slow. Uh, people do have access to gasoline and diesel and propane, uh, fortunately. So th those issues are, are, are uh, of lesser concern. Really, the, the big concern has to do with where people are going to live and how are they going to eat. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you don't have a job, it's, it's hard to exactly know where your next meal is going to be. Uh, and when you don't have a home and you're relying on these programs and, and um, charities to figure out where you're going to be sleeping next, uh, that can be very complicated. So uh, that creates, you know, a whole slew of mental health issues um, that we're also having to deal with. Although a lot of people are still in shock and a lot of people are still in denial about everything that's happened. And, uh, probably rightly so to protect them from um, the, the pain that they're going to have to encounter. Well, Lance, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, as well as all of our other guests uh, on Native America Calling. It was a, a full uh, a full list of guests, and we did a lot of interviews as well as a pre-record, and uh, also appreciate our, our one caller, and uh, I know some other folks were trying to get some calls in as well, so I do apologize we weren't able to get your calls in, but uh, hopefully next show we'll get you on the air. And in the meantime, feel free to comment on our social media pages. We've got Facebook, we can got Instagram, so we would certainly appreciate your comments and your thoughts there because, again, the conversation doesn't have to stop just because the show ends. We've got other channels of communication with which to interact with our listeners. So, folks, thank you again. Uh, wonderful conversation, serious conversation, but a good conversation on the rebuilding and healing in the aftermath of the Maui wildfire. Tomorrow, we'll have a discussion about the growing awareness to change place names deemed offensive to Native Americans. Hope you'll tune in. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. SBA wants to see you win. They want to see you grow. They have been so helpful and so resourceful. Thanks to the SBA, my business is thriving today. Make sure you get in touch with SBA and you will definitely be on your way to a winning path. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Education sovereignty, it begins with us. That's the theme of the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show to be held in Albuquerque October 18th through the 21st. You have an important role to play in the ongoing effort to reclaim education sovereignty. The agenda includes an educator day, a student day, 
professional learning opportunities, and the NIEA Awards Ceremony. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.